0: The season of the ready state is sponsored by Butcher Box.
1: Yeah, you know, we have been, we get asked a lot about nutrition. A couple things. One, your tissue quality is directly impacted by the quality of things you eat, unequivocally. And I think we can pretty much boil down all of the, uh, information I know about nutrition into one sentence. Don't eat like an asshole.
0: Here's the deal with ButcherBox. We've used it. We love it. You get a box of super beautiful grass-fed or finished beef, free-range chicken, and old-world pork, whatever that is.
1: (laughs) It's like vintage pork. No, no. Here's the deal. I love bacon. You love bacon. Use our link. We'll get you $20 $20 off and get some free bacon.
0: And it's 9 to 11 pounds of meat for $129 a month, which is less than $6 a meal.
1: I mean, forever we have been saying you should probably eat like a vegan plus the best meat you can afford.
0: Vegan plus meat.
1: And guess what? ButcherBox is that it's, it's amazing.
0: You like meat and want to avoid eating like an asshole and you love free bacon, go to butcherbox.com slash the ready state and you'll get $20 off and free
1: bacon. No brainer. Hey everyone, I'm Dr. Kelly Starrett.
0: And I'm Juliette Starrett.
1: And this is The Ready State. On this episode of The Ready State, we have the one and amazing Amelia Boone. And if you don't know who she is, just take a look at your local running magazine, the cover. I mean, she is one of the most accomplished obstacle course racers, endurance athletes I've ever met. And she is dubbed locally as the Queen of Pain.
0: Amelia is the three-time winner of the World's Toughest mutter. She is Spartan Race World Champion. She is Spartan Race Point Series Champion. She's a three-time death race finisher. And if you don't know what that is, Google it because it's pretty amazing. And on top of all that, she uh, competes in tons of races, has podiumed over 50 times, and does all that while working as a full-time corporate attorney.
1: And what's really great is that her insights into her body are going to help us understand and unravel this really complex relationship we have with suffering discomfort. I hope you guys enjoy.
0: Amelia Boone, we are so honored to have you on The Ready State. And I would just wanted to start by pointing out that you are known as the queen of pain. And I also happen to have another friend who has been... Uh, given the same title of Rebecca Rush. So I'm not sure what that says about me that I now have two friends, both of whom are, uh, have been dubbed the queen of pain. But, um, you know, what do you think about that? <laughs> well, Thank you for having me. And,
2: and honestly, my, my hands are off. I think, I think Rebecca can have the title. She's been around a lot longer and doing all this stuff, you know, for, way more crazy stuff than I ever have.
0: But maybe she can be like the queen I of don't know, I don't know man. I bite, think it is a steep pain. I don't a know. It's just steep competition between you two. Well, you know what's interesting
1: <laughs> is I never hear anyone described as the king of pain. That is true. <laughs> it's only the queen and and if anyone was going to ever share the title, certainly the two of you guys. Yeah, it's you know most deserved. Most deserved. Well, um oh, thank you. You know, we are really in this interesting time where you have taken on just just so everyone can understand we'll you know your race history and and track record for lack of a better phrase for completing the gnarliest races on the earth and shining through there and then showing up again to do the next one is is really unmatched like I don't know anyone else in my professional repertoire who has kind of you know if I look at your race history has done more like lineups more more has has paid more entry fees to suffer than you
0: well and if uh, b- before you react to that amelia and also you know when i looked at your career highlight section on your blog like i actually i actually sort of said wow you know i knew um how how many races and how many podiums i thought um but i think what really struck both of us is n- number one the volume of races you've been competing in since 2012 or earlier and in almost every single one of them you've podiumed yeah yeah i mean it's i've I've really put my body through the ringer
2: um <laughs> and uh it's it's been quite a ride and if i i think sometimes i I actually kind of lose sight of actually like how much that I've done in in really a short period of time um and so it's a it's been an interesting journey, one that I didn't expect to have,
0: but I'm glad I have. <laughs> Well, and I think some congratulations are in order because just in the prior two weekends, I, um, correct me if I'm wrong, but you got first place in the Monterey super Spartan and then fourth place last weekend in something called the broken arrow sky race, which is a high altitude ultra race. Yes. Thank yeah, you. So thank congratulations. You. Yeah, I mean, that, yeah. that, that just happened over the last two weekends. So amazing.
1: You know, this, you. this season, we're trying to wrap our heads around this crazy subjective self-inflicted sometimes persistent debilitating concept of pain. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that I, I can experience or, or attest to having just only done one long running race in my whole life is that I, did never ha- I, was, I didn't have a transcendent moment. I didn't have a moment where I was like, I love my wife more and, <laughs> and life is good. And I found myself, all I did was I experienced suffering for eight and a half hours.
2: <laughs> you, did. didn't, you didn't have like that runner's high? You didn't get that runner's <laughs> high? Yeah, when
1: I stopped. <laughs> but honestly um you know as we begin to sort of untangle this because it's not it's honestly you know there are there've got to be some things that you're doing that people are listening to can take over there I mean you know we have always said that the goal of our work is to take the highest levels and thinking of sports and performance and actually you know transmit those those laws and experiences into you know, our own kind of, you know, I'm just a working dad kind of guy. And, uh, you know, there's, there's gotta be something we can unravel here, but do you go out and feel like you have these transcendent suffering experiences? Is is that part of it?
2: Yeah, I think of that, that part of it, I, I don't want to say it as like, it's being addicted to pain or, 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 and I think that's an overused phrase. Um, I think what it is, is just that it's not so much, I don't feel pain when I'm out there. I Don't get me wrong. Like I feel pain when, when I'm out there and different things hurt and it's, and when you're competing and it, it's going to be a grind, but there's something that just makes you feel alive when you're feeling that, I think. And in so much of our day-to-day lives, and I'm probably like the ultimate weekend warrior, like so many people out there. Um, and that in our day-to-day lives, we don't, we don't feel that. And we don't feel, we don't feel, you know, like an entire sensory experience. And so these moments when you're going through like the lowest of lows and then the highest of highs in really, really long races, to me, it's just, it's that feeling that, that like, I'm like, this is, this is being human. This is what life is about. Um, and in every race and most of them, you know, I really like, I prefer the pain and death by a thousand paper cuts type of pain. Um, you know, for me, if some, if somebody was like, Oh, go out and sprint a hundred meters, I'd be like, no, thank you. Not my kind of pain. Um, you know, I, 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 like to, I like to drag it out for as long as possible. Um, but uh and I think that in those types of scenarios, it's funny how you can just experience an in, the entire range of emotions in a very short period of time um and I think that that's really what drives me to it
0: so it seems like in a in a in a way that you're really good at disassociating your brain from any sort of physical pain you're having. And I guess my question is you know we talked to Alex Hutchinson about sort of strategies that people use to manage pain or I mean, are you consciously or, or, aware of or suffering right or suffering? I mean, are you yeah. consciously aware that you use any strategies to manage or push through the pain or suffering like positive self talk or
1: um... you know, or even discomfort yeah. because I, yeah. I, I think you know I want to hear your, uh, your question, but um you know the idea is that you have you didn't arrive at this place overnight. you obviously have a, have a knack for it. But if we if we say instead of race, it's how do I manage a crazy life, or how do I deal with stress and with a sick family member? I mean, you know, just the discomfort. You know, uh, it's got to be the same at some point, right? I mean, isn't isn't that really why we we do we test ourselves so we can take those lessons back? Because what is it? How how are you doing it?
2: Yeah, I think I absolutely use strategies, and I actually I don't I don't turn off the pain, um, and I don't I don't think that it's something that that kind of like fear. I don't think that you can just compartmentalize it and pretend that it's not there. I actually talk to it. It's kind of weird. It may sound strange, but, um, you know, during a certain part of the race, something's going to hurt. And if you acknowledge it and I say, okay, well, my foot is kind of hurting right now. My right foot is kind of hurting. Hey, right foot, what's going on? Like, what can I do in this moment to solve this, or make it better, or alleviate—is it stopping? Is it readjusting? Is it changing my stride a little bit? Um, you know, or at the same time. And then it's funny how if you actually just kind of pay attention to it, and and you know acknowledge it, then sometimes I find it goes away, and actually you know will shift to something else. And it's almost the same in you know even if it's just discomfort in that. Uh, in a race, you know, I'm carrying a 60 pound bucket up a huge mountain, and I don't think I can, I can go any further. And you just sit there and you're like, No, no, I can. Like, why do I think that? And so I don't, it's not something where I just pretend that it's not happening. I always am constant, like, kind of connecting to my body throughout it. Um, And I think that that's really important, that you can't just ignore it. And I've done awful things to my body by completely ignoring it to a point of, of no return. But, um, you know, just having a relationship with it, like you would have a relationship with any emotion. So well, I
1: definitely well, uh, hey, want hey, to go because well, you say carrying a sixty pound bucket up a steep hill. <laughs> I think that's Juliet's allegory for being married to me. <laughs> 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 I'm like, so I was literally like, Juliet, how do you manage this? Oh, you can go on. You <laughs> oh, can get on one foot in front of the other. <laughs>
0: yeah. um, all right. Well, notwithstanding Kelly's comment, uh, I really want to ask you about a couple of your injuries. But I have to go back in time um, as a fellow attorney, and yeah. one of the things I think is so noteworthy about your background is that. Uh, and and what I said is, you know, just the sheer volume of races you're doing and all the races are high in, in and of themselves high volume, but you also work full-time as an attorney. Um, and I imagine most of the people who are also sitting on the podium or standing on the podium with you at most of these races are probably full-time professional athletes. I mean, how do you manage all this and how did you get to this point? Yeah. I mean,
2: I, I started, I look, when I started racing, I was 27 or so 27, 28. I was already, I was a first year associate at a large law firm. Uh, and to me it was in this crazy sport of obstacle racing. That wasn't even really a sport yet. So the thought ever actually never really crossed my mind that, you know, it would turn into something where people would be doing this full time for a living. Um, it was just kind of a side gig that everyone did on the weekends, but as it as it kind of grew and expanded, um, you know, that's what it's, that's what it's turned into. And for me in a way, it's almost like I never, I've never seriously considered being a full-time athlete. Um, I think that it changes the the character of, of what you do. And I've always raced for kind of stress release and kind of like a different outlet. Uh, but in a way it's almost like an additional challenge. It's like, how can I keep up with these professional athletes that are doing this full time, you know, when, when I'm working full time. And so it's, it is that added, uh, that added challenge that also kind of motivates me there in that way.
1: Um, and you know, even maybe <laughs> limits your, you know, sometimes when you take the breaks off and you can eat the whole buffet, Versus your mom like, <laughs> you can only eat five minutes at this buffet. Maybe that's, it's, it's worked for you. One, mm. of, one of the things that's interesting is that um, Evelyn Stevens is an old friend of ours. And if you don't know her, she is an Olympian mm. and holds the one record, one hour time trial record. For, cycling. For cycling, which oh. is arguably one of the most painful things on the planet. But she yeah. came to cycling much later. Do you think that there was something to... I mean, you had obviously self-identified as, as a worker early on. I mean, I, the women I know, like Juliette, who worked at big law firms and for, you know, you have to be able to put your head down and get work done. Do you, do you think, first question is, do you think there, you make those, those parallels or those connections between sort of work-life tolerance, you know, and racing tolerance? Do you ever think to yourself, I, I got this because I know I can suffer or vice versa? Or do you use the same, same carryover?
2: You know, I actually do. And, and I think that it's, I I used to think that there weren't many parallels, but there is something that's interesting. Like when you pull an all nighter at work um, versus when I pull an all nighter at race, like I would much rather go run through the night. Let me tell you, running for 24 hours is way easier than sitting at a desk for 24 hours, trying to get work done, trying to write
0: a brief that you're (laughs) stressed about. Yes,
2: (laughs) exactly. You know, it's like, it's one of those things that I think that before every long race, I I kind of recognize, and I I kind of go through my mind that there's going to be a high point and there's going to be a, there's going to be a low point, but the glory in that low point is that there always is always going to be a lesson. And there are so many of those lessons that I've taken from those really, really depths of that pain cave back to just everyday life, you know? Um, and I think that that's really is valuable for anyone, you know, regardless people are like, Oh, I'm not at your level. I'm not, I mean, it doesn't matter. Any like, if these are lessons that anyone can take, whether you are the back of the Packer or winning every single race out there.
1: Well, it's, it's interesting because one of the things I heard you say earlier was, you know, it's not that you're some kind of, uh, you know, masochist who shuts off her experiences from her pain. You really have become adept at touching base, acknowledging how you're feeling, making small adjustments. You know, I think sometimes we don't do a good job of that in our lives mm-hmm. about acknowledging stress or anxiety. I mean, I can speak from personal experience, um, you know. I ended up having to get into some therapy and talk with them about my family and some of my own dysfunction a few years ago. And what ended up, I realized is that I was not handling anxiety in a healthy way at all. I would just, Mm -hmm. you know, put a wall down and say, I got this. And now, I recognize I have anxiety like before a big talk or I have to go do something I'm like wow I'm feeling anxious and Juliet's like you're in touch with your feelings those are good
0: I was like that's totally normal Kelly (laughs) and I'm like people are supposed to feel anxiety yeah yeah Yeah.
1: so but I I really feel like you know now I you know I'm not I don't get sidetracked by just pretending it's not there because I mean it's I hear that you know that You know, instead of completely dissociating and just pretending you're an automaton, you really are sort of a feeling experiential person during these moments of real suffering. And I think that's a real challenge, let's say physical challenge. And I think that's that's one of the pieces around what I hope people take away with your model of of how you're transcending these experiences by saying, hey, it's okay. Are there small details I can make and it's going to get worse and I know it's going to get better. And I also really appreciate the fact that you acknowledge straight up something's going to suck during this moment. Right? It's not going to just yeah. be the moment where it's it's gorgeous and everything. You, you know, right. you're just on clouds and you know, it just doesn't it doesn't work that way.
2: No. And I, I think the thing is, is that what's amazing about pain is, is pain is is temp- like many emotions. Or I, I don't know, if pain is technically emotionless, but it's, it's temporary and it changes. And we also label pain. We're taught from a very, very young age, you know, when something hurts, like make it stop hurting, make it stop hurting. There's nothing wrong with pain. Like there's nothing wrong with being in pain. I think is, is, and there's nothing like, kind of like how we label emotions as like negative and positive emotions. Like I don't, I think pain is like a very natural state. And the question is asking, like sometimes when you're feeling discomfort, when you're feeling that suffering, you think, okay, where is this coming from? And if it's physical discomfort, sometimes the crazy thing about the brain mechanism is that the place where you're pain, feeling pain isn't actually like the source of your problem. And so because it's all neurological through the brain and it's way above my pay grade to talk about that. But I think that's what's so fascinating to me, um, you know, is that we don't have to avoid it. And the, the less that you avoid it, I think sometimes the less that it hurts
1: so yeah, that's two when, cents. when people have persistent pain or chronic pain, mm-hmm. I feel like, you know, one of the truths or the things that feels so debilitating to people is that think people think it's never going to end, it's going to get worse, and they can't stand it. And, mm-hmm. I, you know, those are those are really, really strongly held beliefs. And all you have to do is experience a bout of persistent or debilitating pain. And you understand that it's really difficult to try to maintain a healthy relationship and conversation, acknowledgement around that when you became injured for the first time and felt like, you know, you couldn't run or you were having pain, did you ever feel that slippery slope where you, where you, you could see that, you know, devolve into negative self-talk around the pain or were you always able to say, Hey, look, there's something I can do to improve the ball.
2: No, I actually, I really, really struggled with that. Um, and I, I definitely, you know, I, I spent a good so when I ended up, you know, with, I ended up, for listeners, uh, with fracture in my femur. And um, for a very long time, as it actually was kind of a non-healing it, healing fracture, and I couldn't understand what was going on and why I felt like my body was betraying me. Um, and really, and because everyone was like, bones heal, bones heal, you'll get better. Um, but at the same time, I what happened was really that... Something that something that I was never afraid of before I'd never been afraid of pain, you know And I had, I just ignored it or I just it was like whatever it's temporary. I'll get through it like it always goes away I now all of a sudden became petrified of it um, It's kind of like maybe when you get your heart broken for the first time, you know, you have this almost like PTSD experience and so my entire relationship with pain like was flipped on its head, that I suddenly became absolutely scared that every ache and pain was then something catastrophic. And I think that that's the slippery slope. What happens when people get injured for the first time, or when they are in chronic pain for a while is that they, you automatically become hypersensitive. And it's a very debilitating type of feeling.
0: You know, I thought it was super interesting. You wrote about returning from injury in your blog, mostly um, from the point of view of everything you did wrong. (laughs) And um, one of the things we talk a lot about is the importance of movement during rehab. But I think you also said that you may have taken that um, sentiment a little too far. You know, tell us, uh, you know, if you could sort of tell us a little bit about some of the lessons you learned while trying to rehab your femur. And I think you also fractured your sacrum too. I don't know if we mentioned that, but yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah. Could you just run us through some of your lessons, you know, what worked and what didn't work and what lessons you learned?
2: Yeah. I was, when I, when I initially, you know, was, is injured, I, same ideas that movement, you know, do what you can, you know, I had, I'd had, had knee surgery a few years ago and I was always like, okay, well, what can I do? And, and trying to get through that and realize, and just go, go. So I did everything that I could, like, to try and maintain cardiovascular fitness. And it worked. Unfortunately, it also at the same time, while I was maintaining my fitness in, at least in terms of like heart and lungs, I didn't recognize like the atrophy of the muscle and the atrophy of, or like that the bones, you know, aren't used to the pound anymore. So when you introduce, reintroduce impact, your heart and your lungs are way more advanced than your muscular system and your, and your bones are. And so it's easy to overdo it at first. that's why people get one injury and then um and then come back too quickly because they're feeling fine if they've cross trained the entire time um, but their body, like the whole skeletal system, isn't prepared for that
1: yeah one of the one of the mechanisms of or predictors of injury is when you see a change in volume and then mm-hmm. and, a, and a, then we add that volume back in it's it's well predicted, especially in in professional soccer players in premier soccer. You can see when that volume comes off, and just just like you're saying, you go back, and no, there's no shaping gradient. I mean, where is the book for elite runners to come back and re? And it doesn't exist. You sort of have mm-hmm. to feel your way through it. Yeah,
2: yeah. And so, I mean, I definitely I did everything. I didn't give myself my body time to heal. And what I didn't, what I didn't appreciate was that the healing process to heal a fractured bone requires significant energy from the body. And so it was like, I was almost not like every athlete. I was like afraid of like, Oh God, I'm going to turn you know, I'm going to like gain so much weight. I can't exercise. I can't do this, blah, blah, blah. And like, I didn't recognize like all of the energy expenditure that goes into just healing. And so then on top of cross training and everything like that, you know, I just, I just almost drove myself into the ground, um, by, (laughs) <laughs> by doing everything I could to try and like cling to fitness. And it wasn't until I just was like, you know what, this is going to be long-term. This is going to be like a year out of my life. And I just like, was like, you know what, I'm going to get out of shape because that's just is what, so when I do and am I able to come back that my like lungs and my cardiovascular system comes back at the same time as like the whole muscle muscular and bone um, part I, in the
1: body. I mean we're a system of systems? So I know. Okay. Apparently. So, so if we, what's one of the fun things about our, uh, the great notes that uh, Lisa has made for us is that we can actually see your entire running history timeline laid out in front of us. <laughs> and, and it is I, astonishing. And I don't know if, I mean, that's lit- amazing. it's literally, it's it's a page front and back single space. And uh, one of the things that's really interesting is that you see you're starting to get a taste for it in 2012 and then there's like a few more races in 2013. And then 2014, 2015. There's it's almost like an explosion of race, yeah. Volume, right? Yeah. Then there's this injury mark, and then you can see how you've like you've pulled back on your volume a little bit. Mm-hmm. But what's interesting is that there are very, my favorite, my favorite, and this is from your website. First place at fracturing my femur was your my favorite. Uh, <laughs> April twenty third, twenty sixteen
2: was my favorite. Was your favorite <laughs> result? Yeah.
1: Well, wh- what's really interesting is you have very few did not finishes and yes. very few races where you, something didn't have, you know, didn't go. And recently you partook in what I think is the, one of the top five craziest things you can do as a human being. And there's a great documentary about it. We'll, we'll, we'll link Put to it. it, in it. The show notes. But it's called the Barkley marathons. Can mm-hmm. you, so give everyone just a, a quick, paragraph of what the hell this race is because i don't even know if it's in a race it's like burning man it's like an experience
0: well and also um it is like burning 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 man Man for the human body but yeah i mean and just to add to what kelly said for the listeners i mean you just uh you know did this in march of this year so for some context like like that was like yesterday so um yeah tell
1: us what is this race yeah what is this i I have a follow-up for it
2: yeah. So the Barkley marathons is, uh, is kind of a, a misnomer. It's it's supposedly a hundred mile race through Tennessee, but everyone who knows it is pretty much like, it's probably like about 125, 130 miles. Um, there is, there are no course mar- markings. Uh, there is no course map. I mean, there's a master map, but then you're left up to try to like mark your own map and your train. And so how you run this, it's five loops of a supposedly 20-mile course, but the course kind of gets longer every year and there are sections added, but it still is miraculously somehow only 20 miles. Um, and uh, to prove that you, you've you done this course, you have to collect pages out of books, uh, usually 13 books that are laid out Um it through the park. Um, it's not, there are no trails. You're on trails for maybe like 10% of the race. Um, the rest you're completely off trail through the woods, um, through the middle of the night, through multiple days, uh, to try and finish this race. And, and the, book, the been, books
1: are well marked, right? It's easy to find them.
2: Oh, totally easy to wait. find them. They're not like hidden under rocks or anything like that. But wait, um, can I just, um, side, being side so question, I don't
0: want to stop your train of thought, but I mean, are you like carrying a map and a compass?
2: Yes, you are. So the only, the, the only way that you really know how to get around, it's kind of part orienteering and land navigation is, um, using a map and compass to try and try and find these things and then move really quickly at the time. And so this race has been going on for 35 years now, and there have been 15 finishers total, 40 people about each year. No woman has ever finished. I failed to finish as well. Um, yeah so it it is I would say hands down one of the craziest races out there and I'm totally addicted to it
1: of course (laughs) just because it's not hard enough what you already do you should make it harder
2: exactly so let
1: me ask you I mean you know you have had this experience obviously you're an athlete you know you you're competitive you you know how to you know how to delay gratification because you went to law school and then, <laughs> right. You know, you know how that works. So you're like, okay, I'm just yeah. going to be a indentured servant. Then you have all these things where you, you, you finish. It's been a long time since you really tried to do something and didn't knock it down. Mm-hmm. Do you think you were better prepared? Is there a relationship to have been injured and having a different view? Did you come out? Cause then you like literally the next week you come out and you're like, let me just win again <laughs> in another big race but you know do you think you were as prepared mentally for the possibility of not finishing just having had this recent experience of of really having a different relationship with your body than than one that was sort of automatic
2: yeah i think it was actually an incredible experience for me because you actually don't even can't even really talk about the race before you do it it's kind of the the unwritten rule that you stay hush hush that you're even in the race And so it was this experience where I got to do it entirely for me. Um, And that was really incredible. And I didn't, you know, obviously I wanted to go out there and I wanted to finish and you want to be the first person, you know, you want to be the first woman to finish out there. But I think for me, it was also just a celebration of being able to be out there and recognizing that I was not broken anymore because after about you know, after a year long bout with injury and I didn't race for 18 months, um, with it and uh, with, with my injuries, you start to feel like you're never like that. You're always going to be broken. And I, somewhere in my, in my head, I wrote the story that I was always going to have pain and that I was never going to be able to compete again. And that, you know, I, I, that literally that I was a broken person. And so I think for me, the Barkley marathons really showed me like, no, you know, you you are strong, you're capable and your story is not over yet and you can rewrite it. And um, so that was that was really the key takeaway for me was it was changing, changing that discourse that I had in my head about what had happened to me over the past few years.
1: Well, that is I hear that. And that is so heartbreaking because as a therapist, you know, as a physio who gets to work alongside with some of the best athletes on the planet and you and I, I've had the great pleasure yeah. of getting to work alongside next to you it never occurs to me once that you won't be able to make a full recovery like it, that's never yeah. even part and i i'm sure i even told that to you i'm like you will race again you will <laughs> right. be pain free and yeah but
0: when you're in the moment you know like yeah. it's really yeah. it's
1: really difficult it's hard to believe that especially when you you have all of this experience and then you know and then all of a sudden your your body just doesn't do it and yeah
2: and i think i i remember seeing you in what it was in hawaii last year and I was just returning to running and I was like, everything feels awful. Like everything feels awful. (laughs) And I'm never going to be like, I can only run like three miles and I don't know what's going on and everything hurts, you know? And, and it's just funny, you know, it's in like a year later, I'm feeling finally feeling, you know, capable again.
0: (laughs) Well, um, quick story for you, Amelia Kelly. I don't know if you know, just did the Molokai crossing um, in, I guess it was the end of May. And he also did not finish. And I thought it was actually a sign of his um, maturity as a human and an athlete that uh-huh. he could sort of tap out. You know, I mean, I think his his 35-year-old self compared to his 45-year-old self would have just gutted it out and ended up with injuries or um, mm-hmm. a, an experience where he learned nothing and had no fun. Um, so, know I don't know if you have some of that,
1: you know, feeling of
0: maturity and... <laughs> So but forth, but
1: I know there's gonna be another race. You yeah. know, I, I'm, right? You know, I'm gonna take another bite of the apple.
0: Right, like you'll you'll be back at the Barclay, I'm quite sure. Well, and yeah. a full a full <laughs> disclosure, I
1: have now had reading glasses for one week. And, Yo. Uh, and and I can just talk about this publicly for a second because I was pretty sure I told you that I'm like these allergies will not go away. My eyes are so. He's
0: like puffy. every morning. I and you would take like six Claritin every morning. <laughs>
1: So uh, when I'm blaming, <laughs> totally it on, good for you. <laughs> no, it's fine. It's fine. It's fine. What what I realized was maybe I couldn't even see the finish line. That was probably good. no.
0: Well, there yeah. we go. <laughs> he
1: he we go. also
0: went through um, all the phases of grief. Like he started off in denial, which is when he thought that he had allergies, and you know he went through every phase of grief before he finally just accepted. He he finally reached acceptance, and he was in Paris and bought himself a pair of reading but, glasses. But uh, you know there what's you interesting
1: go. though about this is, you know. I, this is the first, as we were talking about, this is the first race or competition. And maybe it's, I don't race enough or compete enough. I think I have, but I, it's the first thing I have never not finished. Mm -hmm. Like I couldn't physically do it. And it wasn't about will. It was just like, wow, I can't keep the boat upright. And you know, I'm just so smoked and it's not fun anymore. And there's no way I have two more hours. And it was the first time. And then I had to get glasses and I literally (laughs) was like, I'm old and my body's changing and I, I really have like having to swallow this pillow that there are different conversations to have that maybe for my mm-hmm. self, the engine doesn't go as hot anymore, but it's still, there's still places to explore. Where, where are you? Like I love that this Barkley marathon for you was an intellectual step up. It wasn't just about mm-hmm. who can be the fastest. Cause um, last year you did something that you were racing in a Spartan race and you, there was a moment where you were in the lead or in the top three and you stopped for a second. You weren't going to get past, but you high-fived a girl on Mm -hmm. the sideline. And for me, like that moment for me, because people saw it and were like, holy crap, here's a girl racing in this huge race, this woman who's the best. And you saw that this girl, and you had a moment to like inspire her. And and I was like, oh, look, Amelia is gone from good to great. Like (laughs) you're transcendent. In terms of your understanding of your your role and who you are and how this how the relationship is to the race, the Barkley represents an, a step up intellectually. What, how do you keep challenging yourself in a way so that's just it just can't be about running faster and longer forever, right?
2: Right. I mean, I, well, I'm always on the lookout for like the next gnarly thing um, that I can do to myself, and don't get me wrong, but it is for me. It's always it's it's this constantly evolving relationship with racing with my body, um, with myself and where it fits in to my life. Because I think for so long is that I was completely fixated on results and completely fixated on podiums and winning and so scared, um, that if I wasn't able to do that, that I was somehow unworthy of being loved, you know, or that I was somehow that like the only way for me to be the quote unquote queen of pain and the badass was if I kept winning, a certain point in your life, you're not going to win anymore. Um, and, 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 you can, you can, but like certain point in your life, like you, it's, it's just, it's, it's not going to happen. Um, and the funny thing is, is that it's almost like now that I, I just, I don't really care as much about, about the end result as long as I can still go out there and, and like suffer through the process. Um, that is, it's very freeing in a way. Um, and I think for me, it's, it's always, it's trying to find that kind of like that happy state that I, I, I call it racing happy, um, and, and still pushing myself and still finding those new, those new boundaries, but doing it in a way that's respectful of my body, first of all. Um, and you know, respectful of the emotional toll that it takes on the life as well. I
0: love that. Um, Amazing. I am sort of obsessed with two subjects, um, across all, uh, all things in my life, and those are nutrition and sleep. So I was hoping you could just discuss sort of your thoughts and experiences on both, um, both with you know with respect to recovering from your injury, but also just in your ability to deal, deal, manage, confront pain, suffering, and erase itself.
2: So those are actually probably two areas that I am entirely unqualified to speak on because <laughs> I do both pretty poorly. Um uh You know, sleep has been I've realized I stayed at a house this past weekend for a race with like eight, eight other athletes. And they all they all slept for like 12 hours, like the night before the uh, like two nights before the race. Well, and I was nice. like, I was like, oh, this is what I'm doing wrong. Like, I mean, <laughs> I, and so I notoriously have just, I've, and I think that actually is why I do really well in super long races is that I do really well with sleep deprivation. Um, you know, and I've been up for 72, 80 hours. Kids, um, and, if you're listening to this, <laughs> disregard
1: the last part of this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, it's
2: really, it's really bad. But I, and I realize now that how important sleep is for recovery and it's still something that I'm, still trying to work on, um, you know, and I I actually do get probably seven to eight hours. um, But it's just generally from like, 9pm until like, 4am. So it's kind of I'm kind of like on the 80 year old schedule. (laughs) Um, And uh, (laughs) we'll take seven to eight hours.
0: And and, and and I'm with you. I haven't been able to sleep 12 hours maybe ever in my life. So yeah, oh, that would be nice. The
1: two type A world champion women I know, <laughs> weird, who happen to be attorneys. That's so strange.
2: <laughs> Can't sleep. Who do you know? <laughs> uh, it's just. It's, I swear to God, as soon as as soon as like, I don't even need my my. I don't even need an alarm clock because I will wake up like two minutes before it goes off every morning. That's a good sign. Um, yeah. Hey. I mean. So I guess that's guess that means that I'm sleeping. Um, so, but I do. I mean, I I make sure that that's priority and more and more now and you know, with nutrition, I've never been a stickler. Um, I, I admire athletes who are like, I'm super vegan. And the only thing I put in my mouth is, you know, super healthy and blah, blah. I, I like a lot of balance. So, you know, I like my chocolate. I like my ice cream. I like my red wine and I like my beer. Um, and I think that as an endurance athlete, the key for me is really realizing is that you have to fuel the machine. Um, and, it's just about always being in a calorie surplus because it's when you start to get in that calorie deficit that injury can really um, pop up
1: yeah, and 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 full full credit we've all spent together enough time that you eat a lot of vegetables and really <laughs> sure. really well also so just so people are hearing you're you eat like a, a responsible adult comma plus some chocolate so um, right, right which which I which I appreciate and I just want to give it a shout out because the one time I did this long, a long running race, eating and running is actually very challenging. And if, and if people I mean just go out for a 5k and then stop and eat a hamburger and then <laughs> keep going and just let me know how that goes for you. I mean, cause you know, even like any of the races that for me are beyond two hours where I have to eat something, I really, it's really hard. I struggle Get to stopped. have to eat something. And I, it's one of the things that, I think is uncommented un- upon in this, in this capacity to, to deal with pain is how do you eat and run? You're, it's insane. Yeah.
2: I mean, it, it's actually it's part of the thing that, that intrigues me. So here's what intrigues me about endurance sports and especially you know races like 100Ks, 24-hour races. It's like this magical puzzle where you have to put together all of these pieces and try and make it work. And everything is going to go wrong and you have to troubleshoot while you're out there. And so, like, you're going to be dealing with pain. You're going to be dealing with suffering. And it's kind of just triaging it all in the And I've never had a race over, like, eight hours in length where I haven't vomited, you know, for instance. Uh, and there's always going to be something. And putting together, like, the kits beforehand to try and plan for everything that could possibly go wrong. And I think that it's just, you know, it's, it's, it's part of, like, the fun to me. <laughs> That's
1: not like the puzzle. Yeah. Yeah. I mean,
0: I, I, that's such a good way to think about it. I mean, we even have a friend who is, um, uh, does the Western States every year and some other ultra races. I mean, it does take them weeks and weeks of planning and preparation from the, you know, the people who are going to run beside him to like every snack he's going to have and mile by mile plans. And right. It is, you do have to be very meticulous about the whole thing. Yeah. Yeah. So, a uh, question for you. I recently saw that the eco challenge is going to be coming back on, and I thought really, yes. And I thought maybe um, you and Rebecca should team up and uh, do an eco challenge together. I'm happy uh, to make an introduction.
2: That would be amazing. I would need. I would need to be. So here's the funny thing. For somebody who you think that would be kind of somebody like me who think like, oh, she's fearless and can do anything. I'm petrified of bikes petrified of bikes and um i you know it's I'm, I'm just a weenie so i feel like eco challenge that's kind of like part of it don't they have to it's like more like
0: it's more repelling
1: no, than it is biking no, dude sorry You're gonna <laughs> i remember from but the, maybe you the, could just you guys should 90s. just tag in yeah you could just tag yeah. in and tag out yeah.
2: i think i remember watching the tv show from the 90s and they were definitely like carrying bikes on their back for part of it or something <laughs> like that and then you biking i would carry the bike in my back i don't wouldn't want
1: to get on it. One of the things that I think is remarkable is that when I see athletes beyond 34, 35 of careers and who continue to refine and get better, you know, I really am excited to see. I feel like you're a better racer. You're a smarter racer. You're more Mm -hmm. effective. You're actually harder to beat physically and mentally now, maybe than you were even five years ago. I mean, I would, I would bet on this Amelia You know, over the the you know nothing has gone wrong. You know, and I would I would say the same thing about all of the athletes who are now, even in their forties, pushing into their fifties. They're at the peak of their power. Do you still feel like you're getting better?
2: Absolutely. You know, it's it's funny. I was talking to my coach the other day, and he was and he was like, "You're getting faster." He's like, "You are absolutely." And I was like, "Nah, I'm thirty five years old. I can't get faster." He's like, "You can, and you are. You're not. You're just." you're smarter now. And I realized that I'm, I'm training smarter. Um, and I, have and, and that's been like a, a refining process and realizing that you don't have to go out there and hashtag beast mode it every single day. And actually that's, <laughs> that, <it>. yeah. <laughs> God. that's like a recipe. It's a recipe for disaster. And I did that every day for like five years and I imploded. Um, but now it's, it's really learning to like work through like, what are little for, in terms of like the pain realm, like what are little niggles and nags that will come and go and how to manage those versus like, what's like a red flag where like, take the time. And, um, you know, I, we have this saying that it's like, you know, five days off sucks, but whatever you do it like five weeks off, like really blows and like five months off, you never want to go there. So like, take the few days now. Um, and, uh, and, uh, you know, address things and is as, as opposed to like getting getting down in that realm of of awfulness. And I think especially as you age as an athlete, you have to you have to recognize that, that you can't go out there and your body's not going to bounce back as quickly.
1: We definitely hang out with a bunch of young people <laughs> who can redline day after oh, day yeah. after day. And I definitely recognize something's changed. Uh, in that do you have any sort of self-autoregulation. How do you know when you're cooked besides besides the obvious pain? Because some of this is experience. Like, hey, my foot's mm-hmm. sore, but once I get warmed up, it's gonna change and you know, I'm gonna go, right? This is what the the condition of the athlete. I mean hearing Laird talk about the amount of sort of pain and he says like pain is his cousin, you know? And yeah. and obviously and, and I think for some people, you know, any pain is bad. And sometimes mm-hmm. you're like, okay, I'm I'm just sore or something's not right or but I, I I'm gonna be fine. Besides that, do you have any You know, like I said, sort of personal experiences or or tells where you're like, I am cooked. Amelia Boone needs a day at the spa.
2: Yeah, I for me, it's uh, what I can really notice is um, for running, at least. If my if I look afterwards at my like stats and my cadence has gone down a bunch, you know, then I realized like my leg turnover is not like there's something up. Um, and for me, it's also, it's also breathing and just kind of a feel. Um, I honestly, like, I never really feel tired. Um, I don't really get that like tired feeling. Um, but that's definitely something that I look at is that if I start to get sloppy, um, then that's when I know like, okay, I'm, I'm starting
0: to, or if I don't wake up before my alarm, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I, love enough, yeah. I love it. I love it. That's Just another I think that's,
1: that's really yeah. great.
0: Well, yeah. uh, Amelia, we're so grateful to talk to you today and thank you so much for spending so much time with us. Yeah. Um, where can people find you and where can people, um, have their own experience of reviewing your career highlights,
1: uh, page because and, I have to your, say
0: it's, uh, it's a, it's excellent.
1: And your self-reflection <laughs> and honesty, yeah. which yeah, is and so and good. And your blog, yeah, where can you.
0: people find you online and on social?
2: Yeah. So, um, I do have a website at ameliaboonracing.com racing.com and you can link to my blog there. I wrote a bunch, um, throughout all of my injury process and, and my relationship with pain, um, and, uh, coming back and, uh, then on social at Twitter at Amelia Boone, um, and Instagram is AR Boone 11 can stalk
0: me there perfect well thank you again so much it's you such are such a best. pleasure this to talk is such
1: to you a, such a fun convoy and yeah, uh, anytime you anytime you want someone to uh, hold your map in the middle of the night juliet will be there
0: <laughs> excellent
1: <laughs> thanks amelia
0: thanks all right. guys all right take care
1: thank you for listening to the ready state if you like what you're hearing, check out all of our episodes here or at mobilitywad.com.
0: The Ready State is the podcast of MobilityWad.com, where we've assembled the world's most comprehensive database of guided movement mechanics and mobility videos, all with the goal to help improve performance and eliminate pain. Each motivated by the simple idea that all human beings should be able to perform basic maintenance on themselves.
1: We're also on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram under MobilityWad. That's W-O-D as in workout of the day. Till next time, Cheers, everyone. You got it. You stop it. You, got it. You, got it.
2: you got it. Kelly Starrett is the New York Times bestselling author of Becoming a Supple Leopard and Ready to Run. He's a coach, a physical therapist, an athlete, and an innovator who works with elite athletes as well as everyday people who just want to be healthier and happier in their lives. Juliette Starrett is a co-founder and CEO of both San Francisco CrossFit and Mobility Wad co-founder of StandUpKids.org, a writer, an entrepreneur, and a world champion athlete. Our theme music was provided by Rogue Wave.
1: You got it! You stop